Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 206. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we set up an overflow area for the millions of Fake the Nation fans in my head. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and today uh, we'll do a coronavirus check-in because we still have a pandemic. Uh, we'll also look at the 2020 horse race, and uh, I mean, I wish we were looking at actual horses, but instead we're going to look at political candidates. And finally, efficiency. Is it a thing that happens in an office or not really? I am so excited by today's panel. We have with us a former Obama administration guy. He also has a podcast called In the Bubble. He's also been just um, a voice of reason and uh, holding the administration to account on all things coronavirus. He's so fantastic. I'm so excited he was able to do the show today. You guys, it's Andy Slavitt. Hi, Andy. Hi, Nagin. Do I sound like a voice of reason? <laughs> Um, you really do. Uh, we also have joining us my buddy from the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me universe. Uh, you've heard us on panels together for that show. He's a comedian. Um, I've seen him just absolutely kill in front of live audiences. So what you should do in your life is make sure you get to see him perform live. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Brian Babylon. Hey, Brian. Hey, Nagin. How are you? I'm good. Um, all right, let us get into topic number one. A 
guess, where are we nationally and regionally with the coronavirus? Uh, what is going on? Um, according to Dr. Fauci, there's a, quote, disturbing surge of the coronavirus uh, in the United States. Uh, and in fact, the United States accounted for 20% of all new cases worldwide. Andy, let's start with you. I guess my big question for you is, <laughs> what is happening and why is it happening? Uh, you know, I think we're living somewhere near the cross-section of denial, anger, and boredom. Um, and that's a pretty dangerous place to be. We've we've now seen, as of this week, we're now back to the place where we have more cases every day than we had since March and April. Meanwhile, most of the rest of the world, when they get five or ten cases, is just freaking out. I just talked to folks in Singapore yesterday, and they were very upset because they had like some number of cases, like six, and we have thirty thousand. Um, and I think those these, are different numbers. Those are different numbers. Very and different. Very different numbers. And I think you know, like the people in the South and the West, like the, a lot of the governors, were pretty confident when this was going through New York that this was a blue state pandemic. And when it came time to open up, they couldn't. Well, I mean, Andy, to be fair to them, Andy, to be fair to them, it is um, it's a partisan virus. It's true. Uh, the, the coronavirus announced itself as a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after after Trump, I think it was a Reagan Democrat and then Trump happened and then <laughs> could have came back to came back. And like who else I mean, who could blame the virus? It's it's kind of like, but they're they're now in this mode where they're like, "Wow, you mean this? What this is happening to us too?" And um, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with people in Arizona, Texas, uh, Florida, and you know, again, the reason I say that this reaction is because the you know, in some states they're just basically saying we're not going to publish the numbers, and in some cases they're saying we're not going to. Uh, do any testing. In other cases, um, they're starting to start to get a little bit worried because their hospitals are filling up. Brian, where, tell us where you are and what kind of sense do you get about people's willingness to modify their behavior with respect mm -hmm. to the pandemic? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually in Seattle, Washington, which is Seattle, one, of the, one of the first okay. places to get hit hard with the virus. So I think for this area... Since they went through it first, hard first, they kind of got their head together around it. Um, mm. But three months later, you know, it's a different thing. I think cabin fever finally took over. I was able to go down to that, <clears throat> the rest in peace, the chop zone, Chaz zone. Chaz zone, Which yeah. turned into like, I felt burning man for white people over Black Lives Matter. It was more of a burning man feel than a protest, but that's another story. So I think people are gonna go outside regardless and they use whatever excuse to do it. Like even, I'm not saying the protests were um, not needed, but I think there still was a pandemic and people went out to protest and they're still doing it 25, it's been what, 25 days? So you can't stop people from getting out. So I think people have forgotten a little bit because once it was over with in New York, not over with, but people. So, you know, once New York took their first blow and kept stepping, I think everyone else said, OK, it's pretty much over, in my opinion. And then, you know, in the other, you know, other places like, you know, the South, um, Florida, 
you know, Arizona, since those places. Houston is looking like it's it's a new hotspot. But those places aren't, you know, aren't really big media, you know, markets. So you really don't hear about right. places like that. So, you don't you forget, you know, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like, There's a surge in Tulsa. Like, who cares about Tulsa? Who cares about Oklahoma? You know, that's in people's minds. I care, but a lot of people just don't care about those kind of places. So, you know, it's and I think. We're not so surprised this time, so I think you know. Sure, it will be a it will be a surge, but like you know, they say if you need a ventilator, you'll get a ventilator. That's what you know. Don Trump said that's comforting. Yeah, <laughs> I also want to say for the record, uh, the record that everybody keeps of everything I say that I also care about Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I don't. I, I don't want Andy, people to think, yeah, we're on this ear. <laughs> no, exclude <laughs> Oklahoma. No, it's not that. <laughs> I'm undecided. I'm undecided about Tulsa. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, those 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 smaller markets that don't have major football teams that just might have a major minor league baseball right. team, they don't get the right. same energy. So, um, Well, I mean, um, speaking of whether or not we care about Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, Andy, you wrote a Medium article uh, the other day in which you said the coronavirus is proving, is it, sorry, in which you said the coronavirus is a proving ground for American empathy. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, for, for, so first of all, now I sound like a lack of empathy because I said I don't care about Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> we I, all care about Tulsa, Oklahoma. We all care about Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> and for the record, I don't want to need a ventilator. Um, so that's great that I can get one. Um, but maybe maybe it's a better path not to get one. You know, I, I wrote this thing on Twitter, and someone at Medium is kind enough to to summarize my my tweets. And I, I just, look, we're gonna where we're doing well is science, like coming up with therapies, coming up with vaccines. Like I have eminent confidence in our ability to do that. Where I'm not so confident is our ability to actually care enough about one another to do the right thing. And what I mean by that is it's becoming clearer and clearer that certain populations are much more susceptible to getting coronavirus and dying than others. And so if you're older, if you're sicker, if you're a person of color, you have a higher propensity to get coronavirus and to die from it. There's lots of facts about that now. And Back in March and April, everyone was staying inside because everybody was scared. But what happens now when people are like, oh, wait a minute, I'm young, white, well-off, some combination of those. I don't feel as at risk. The virus is still highly infectious. Are people going to show, going to essentially say, I care enough about my neighbors, even if I'm not at risk? And that requires a level of empathy and I think cohesion that you know, I don't think we've been very good at. And I and I look, compare that to the rest of the world. Um, you go all across the world, whether you're Asia, you're in Europe, you're in Oceania, wherever you are, that people have sort of said, I get it. You know, I may want to go to a bar. I may want to go to the church. I may want to go do this and that. But I'm going to potentially infect other people. And so they're, they're stopping that kind of behavior. Sure. Well, I, I, I heard you, and I've been hearing this back and forth, and I sort of just now hate watch MSNBC, just just for fun. Um, <laughs> you like to increase your blood pressure. Yeah, it's just like, 
that's a whole nother topic, but it's sort of like when you said people, you know, I keep saying, you know, the people of color thing that are our targets. And I, and I, and I understand what people are saying about that. And I would say this as the, you know, black guy on this podcast, I get where people say people of color are dying, but it's a certain type of people of color. Just not, it's not attacking just people with dark skin or it's attacking poor people. You know, it's not attacking right. Kanye West or Dwayne Wade. They're okay. And I would say it's more of a social economic situation more than a targeted genetic thing. And it's affecting, we're seeing now, poor people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, poor people in Louisiana. And it's not mm. necessarily, you know, black people, but still the reason that black people are getting sick is a socioeconomic systemic racism situation. So it's not, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but let's just focus on it's poor people and people who are in bad situations who can't get health care or people who can't not not work at that frontline food job or that frontline job where they have to be out there with people doing stuff. Right, which then goes back to the fundamental issue, which is that, you know, income inequality um, has bred this kind of health disparity mm-hmm. uh, and and income inequality is heaped disproportionately on people of color. And so that's why we're seeing some of seeing uh, the health disparity break down along racial lines the way that we have. That's an excellent point, um, Brian. And um, and uh, it's very I don't know, Bernie Sanders of you to con- continually emphasize the um, economic aspects of this. Well, well, um, it's true. I think another another reason sure. why we're in this is is um is just the way I think our country is set up, and of course I'm you know I'm no fan of, of of Donald Trump, but I think also you know him at the helm of things makes things more horrible too. Just to have a straight goof troop, you know, at at the top running the show. I think in other countries they sort of have a unified plan versus this whole. Each state can take over this. You know, there was never a unified plan. So when you let 50 different people have a say on a situation, things get real muddy. Yeah. You know, we're talking about, talking about cohesion. And Andy, you kind of mentioned this, too. There was a queer epidemiologist um, that like a, a cohesive message. There's a queer epidemiologist, I think, out of Harvard, and I'm blanking on their name, and I apologize. Who was who was saying that basically we need to have a conversation about of a, like the way we had a conversation about safe sex in the queer community versus unsafe sex um, as a way that we you know battled the AIDS epidemic. We need to be having that same conversation around safe coronavirus and unsafe coronavirus behavior. And because we're not getting any of those messages from the top, right? Because Donnie is so totally fucking ill-equipped and because his administration now just sends mixed signal upon mixed signal, there is no real, I think the fact that masks were not at that rally means we we don't we we lack empathy for each other 
And uh, we don't have anyone from the top being like, hey guys, this is how you conduct, this is what empathy looks like. This mask is what empathy looks like. Um, and and so it becomes a, a really difficult situation. Andy, when you were, so Andy, by the way, uh, was the um, acting administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under Obama. So you know a thing or two um, about healthcare um, on a mass scale. What do you wish we were, or like, what have you seen from other countries that you wish we were doing? Like, how do you think um, you would approach this if you had uh, the reins of power? We don't, that'd be dangerous. I, I would tell you that, that I'll start with a couple things that Brian said. One, one, one is um, we have to do a better job for sure talking to each other, which also means listening to each other. You know, so we're used to looking at everything through a political prism. If Trump believes X, then I believe X, or if Trump believes X, then I will definitely not believe X. Um, and um, you know, we're not going to get anywhere with a highly infectious disease as long as we put that that filter on things. And I think we do that uniquely. And I think you know, look, he he tries to win by division, so I I also hold him um, accountable. But the truth of the matter is, if you look around the world. Um, you know, this ability to have a little bit of empathy and compassion and say, okay, I feel safe, therefore I'm going to go behave in ways that are not responsible. That's the thing that I don't have a lot of confidence in our ability, whether it's because you're, um, whether it's because it's socioeconomic, whether it's because you don't have diabetes or heart condition or whatever it is, and you and you just sort of say, in the U.S., we're saying, hey, just isolate. If you're at risk, just don't go out. So first of all, I don't think that's practical. Second of all, I don't think that's very nice. I don't think it's very nice to say, hey, you know what? You live with your grandmother, therefore you shouldn't have to go. You shouldn't go out. Or, you know, you have, uh, you've had cancer. Um, and therefore, you know, you just shouldn't, you just don't go out. So the rest of us, can enjoy ourselves. So some of it is just cultural mentality. And then there's a strategy. I think Brian said this exactly right. You know, you go to New Zealand, their strategy is color-coded system. You go to the Czech Republic, their strategy is wear a mask. You go to Greece, their strategy is discipline. You go to Hong Kong, their strategy is hygiene. You go to Vietnam, it's testing. I mean, these are very diverse countries, not all of them well off. And, and they essentially just say, look, this is what we're all going to do. And it's, it's, it's not going to be fun. We're going to go with some of us are going to go without income. We're going to try to support people the best mm. we can, but it's going to be for a short period of time. Trump ate the marshmallow. If you know that adage about the marshmallow, yeah. like yeah. he yeah. could have just bit the bullet for four weeks, like everybody else did and all over the world. And he'd have had two marshmallows and he didn't. And he just said, I'm eating a marshmallow. I'm not going to buy into this. The only thing motivating him now is the stock market. The only thing that will bring him back to talking about this again is the stock market. Uh, I, I think I think that's uh, an excellent point. And you know, one thing I was uh, doing uh, was reading the World Economic Forum blog. It's not a big deal. I just read a lot, <laughs> and um, the they were talking about. It, it was actually very exciting because they were talking about this is something that requires multilateral action. 
and it's eminently possible, and we actually had all of the information. So imagine if we did have a, a, a world leader who believed in multilateral action, who knew how to play with others, right? Who knew how to wait for the marshmallow. Um, we could have avoided this, which makes me really excited about November, which makes me really excited about having a new president, because this can be avoided in the future. Like, this is our big fat lesson, we're learning it, and we're learning how badly we need to go to the ballot box in November. Um, but, you know, one thing they pointed out is this was, uh, uh, you know, people keep talking about it as a black swan event, but in fact, a lot of people had um, predicted it. Um, people like Bill Gates literally said in a TED talk in 2015, like there will be a pandemic and this is what it'll look like. And it'll look like the flu influenza and all that stuff. Um, I almost said fluenza, like I was just shortening it by one <laughs> syllable. Um, and then also... Um, he, you know, that the obviously the World Economic Forum is going to say that that COVID-19 shouldn't be viewed as something that's discrediting globalization. Of course, they would say that. But again, globalization might mean that a vaccine, instead of it taking fucking decades the way it did for polio or whatever, it'll just it it, it could be here by as early as, um, you know, January 2021, uh, which is amazing, which is fantastic, which mean which means communication across borders and and the globalization that brought us that kind of communication can really help in these in these pandemic situations especially when it comes to scientists talking to each other the one i think embarrassing thing is that uh, and brian <laughs> i don't know how you feel about this but like i am embarrassed mm -hmm. About actually, Andy, I think you said in one of your articles, like for the people in the I'm paraphrasing, uh, instead of letting you just say it, I'm saying <laughs> the people in other countries, please stop laughing at us as it, it's impolite. It hurts our feelings. <laughs> My feelings are really hurt. My feelings are hurt because and it's not like I need to be in the seat of empire, but um, I've grown used to being in the seat of empire. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the fact that our divisions with China, by the way, exacerbated this pandemic, that we couldn't work with them. Um, and the fact that we couldn't work with the G20 and coming up with ways to have a multilateral solution because the guy at the top just won't do it um, is so embarrassing. Um, Brian, thoughts on the multilateral action that could, should, would have taken place? Well, I mean, we can't coulda, shoulda, woulda now. You just have to understand that this is sort of part of the, sort of like the old thing. I don't know. Have you ever, ever taken castor oil, Nagin? Uh, it makes you poop, I believe. Barf. Barf. Or okay. poop. I don't yes. know. It, whatever it is, something's coming out. Okay, whatever. Something. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. There's an excretion. Yeah. It's sort of like taking castor oil. You know, it's going to be bad, <laughs> but when it's over... <laughs> You'll You're see a whole great. new day. And I think, <laughs> and I've sort of gotten to the point of. You'll find the keys that you lost two weeks ago. Yeah, you have to get to the point of, we clearly see there's a lot of things that were broken. And I will say this was probably the positive thing about having Donald Trump be president. It sort of ripped the scab off a lot of garbage that we've been putting Band-Aids over like the police system, health care, the budget, our race problem. We can't hide it. Sort of like going over someone's house that has roaches and they're, everyone's trying to pretend like they don't have roaches, but it's like, dog, I see that fucking roach, man. But <laughs> it's sort of like now everyone sees the roaches. We see what the problem is. 
what we can do is come over and just try to gloss and put another Band-Aid over the situation. And I think once we get back into the global arena, because clearly we are out of the global arena, you know, they, 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 they don't tell don't Donald Trump stuff. So we're not even in the global arena. We're just kind of doing our thing. When we come back, I think it'll be easier to come back more humble and we can start from scratch. Yeah, guys, international community, we fucked up. Um, this is also making me rethink who I am as a guest because I don't think I've ignored um, as many roaches as I should have in my in my past. Oh, you, you busted people out? I think I've just screamed, like, knee-jerk reaction. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't control myself. Um, Andy, final word on all of this. Any, what are the, what do you want us to walk away thinking about this week? Look, th- people want to know who the bad guy is here. Like, that's how we're kind of wired for some reason. Yeah. You know, is it the Memorial Day barbecuers? Is it the protesters? Is it... Is it the president? Is it the governors? And I just fixate on one thing. The bad guy is actually the virus. True. Um, but not really, with, Andy. The virus is not the bad guy. The virus is Mother Nature telling us to slow our butts down. And the that virus is nature. Well, I mean, I, I take your point, though, Andy, in that the, the real thing that's killing people is this virus. Well, it, it, what I, here's what here's what I, the point I, I'm trying to make, Brian, and uh, it, I I mean, you make a very interesting metaphysical point that I hard to argue with. It's just that we're looking to point fingers at one another, and it's getting in our way of dealing with the situation. Um, we're starting. I mean, every time I'm on cable TV, my the first question is someone wants me to throw a a, a high fast pitch at the governor or at the president or something like that. Yeah. And look, we are responsible for how we've reacted, and I completely agree with Brian that that we have not reacted well, and we owe we this is. Um, there's a lot of lessons we can learn about one another here. However, this is, um, at some level, there's a lot of people doing the best they can. Sometimes they're getting it right. Sometimes they're doing it wrong. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a tough situation. We had a, just a hair more, um, uh, empathy. We were better listeners, myself included, um, you know, we're, we're going to do better. So yeah, this exposes a lot of things about us that aren't pretty, uh, our, but our ability to um, sort of need to blame somebody, I don't think is helpful. But I do it anyway. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a better job of listening by abruptly ending this segment and asking people to distract themselves into hearing about our sponsors. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the horse race. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little 
uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. 
They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door. And then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. (laughs) So they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. There are no fuss, no mess meals. Um, They eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, You can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fakethenation50 at factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Topic number two. The race in Kentucky between Amy McGrath and Charles Booker as the Democratic nominee to run against Mitch McConnell is too close to call. I was uh, very interested to hear about this race. Um, For those of you who don't know, Amy McGrath was favored to win. Charles Booker, though, has given her a run for for her money. And he has been sort of actively... Uh, protesting with Black Lives Matter. Uh, Amy McGrath has not. She just kind of went on the campaign trail and and admitted that she had not joined any protest. Um, This is an interesting Mm. race because it's saying a lot about Black Lives Matter, about centrism, about the what what the party is grappling with internally. Um, What do do you guys make of this race, Brian? Well, and this is the reason why MSNBC annoys me is because they 
you know, they, if they're going to be the the network of the left or whatever, they should give a little bit more airtime to that race. I'm not saying that candidate. And I'm not saying because the nation needs to fuel that race. Uh, I think that's one of the more important races of November is that Kentucky race, because if that if Mitch McConnell goes, so goes the Senate. And so, mm-hmm. you know, kind of balances things out and takes steam out of of the White House's swag. But no one's talking about that race. And it's, it's kind of weird to me. You know, maybe they'll do it, you know, after the primaries. But um, I'm really interested in what happens. there. I did not know that that lady did not march with anyone. And that's not a good look. Optically. Come on, honey. Optics. Yeah. Like- <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and she... Well, that, that's the thing is, is that there's even uh, I think even among the best intentioned Democrats, there may be a bubble that they're living in. They don't see stuff. Um, Andy, what did you think of this race? Well, you know, there. I think you're right. There's a bit of a microcosm here, which is like some people approaching this and you use the word, into, um, you know, the establishment or pragmatic or whatever. Some people are just face. I just want someone who's going to beat Mitch McConnell. And then there's other people that approach the race and say, Hey, I want the person that's closest to my beliefs and my values. And I think that is a bit of a, um, argument going on within the democratic party as a whole. Um, uh, not saying that there aren't people who believe Amy McGrath isn't the best candidate. I think there are, um, but there are probably a lot of people who think she's the best candidate to beat Donald Trump. And that may be the principal reason why they like her. I mean, Donald Trump, I mean, uh, Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, uh, which is a state that is very conservative. Well, can I ask you a I question, don't know Andy? the truth. Yeah. But do you think, like, I'm curious, like, okay, the reason she didn't maybe march with Black Lives Matter, and I don't know why people, is like she didn't want to ruffle the feathers of some people who just you know, your, your regular Kentucky person, who that may be. I don't understand. If, is, she, is she going for new voters or trying to play to old voters? Like, why wouldn't you do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't actually personally know her, and I haven't followed that race particularly closely. I'm saying in but theory, if why that's why she did do that? If she did, if, she, if that's the reason, then she's, I think that's, if she, that's not a good look. I agree. Um, you know, if she, you know, I'd love to hear from her why. I mean, maybe she, maybe she'd say something that was persuasive, um, but she should have to answer that question because I don't think you can be asking to be in public office in 2020 and not being asked to go on the record on this issue. And I don't know what she has to say. Maybe she has something. 2010, maybe. Yeah. Right, 2010, definitely. Uh, it sure. would have been fine. <laughs> would have been okay. She wouldn't have even been expected. I mean, even shit, even last year, to be totally frank, it was okay to say, "Hey, I'm I'm not a racist." So what do I, you know, what do I have to do? You can't do that anymore. I mean, you can't do that anymore, and I think you won't be able to do that in the future. I think you have to be actively anti-racist. We're all, I mean, trying to learn um, all the ways that we were not doing that before. I'm talking about. Um, white people. Even I'm surprised I, I, on the level of Juneteenth things that I've seen come out of, from companies, just every video game I play. It's amazing that how hard people have gone on this. Right. Well, and 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 what's and that's what's fascinating about it, it, Amy McGrath is that the bakery around the corner for me has taken a strong Black Lives Matter 
position, <laughs> right? Never mind a Senate candidate. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, come on, um, how are you not taking a stronger position, especially on something that on national polls, again, I don't know what the Kentucky polls are, but on national polls, people are very pro the protest and pro Black Lives Matter. Things have changed. Like things just changed dramatically in three weeks. But I but I also think, you know, well, and just another interesting little uh, turn of events here in New York, um, the primary race for Carolyn Maloney. She's a, our representative in my district. Uh, she's, you know, that that race is not going to be called for weeks until they get all the absentee ballot, ballots counted. But just in, in the um, exit polling, she only has a slim lead over Siraj Patel, who had an insurgent candidacy against her. And Again, Siraj Patel is no Charles Booker, but um, he, you know, he's uh, an outsider. He's a person of color. Like, you know, he's he's got some. He's he's a bit of an interesting candidate. And Carolyn Maloney has has been around for decades, right? So uh, we might be seeing more and more of we, what we saw. Um, in 2018, uh, in 2020, and some of these primary results are an early indicator of that, of what could come for the Democratic Party. Um, and again, I also think it's interesting to see a primary that's being held after the Black Lives Matter protest versus primaries that were held before the Black Lives Matter protest. We don't even know if Joe Biden would have won South Carolina if this had happened in January, right? Uh, there's another potential conclusion out of this in addition to what you said which is that maybe, just maybe, more people are finally voting. And I, don't, I haven't seen the data on that, but maybe people are getting off the sidelines who've historically sat in the sidelines. And so maybe the same number of people are voting for Carolyn Maloney or, um, or, or these other candidates, but um, the younger people have historically not voted as much. And maybe with all that's gone on, with our current leader, with what happened in my hometown with George Floyd, the murder there, maybe with all of these things, people are, are voting more. I, I hope that's part of what's happening. Well, that's how most of elections are won. It's all about how you get the sideline people out. With Barack Obama, it was, you know, the sideline people were, were young white kids and black people. That's what was the sideline people. With with Donald Trump, the sideline people were, oh, the Mountain Dew NASCAR crowd was the sideline people. So, you know, now the sideline people are the people who hate Donald Trump are going to be the sideline people that get activated. It's all about how you can activate those people on the fringes to come to your to your to your aid to vote for you. Well, let's get into the Trump v. Biden race because Biden is ahead of Sleepy Trump in Joe. national polls. Well, Sleepy Joe, he's ahead by Sleepy Joe is ahead by 14 points uh, yeah. nationally, of course. It's a whole different ballgame when we're talking about swing states, but he's also ahead in swing states, which is interesting. Um, he's ahead in Florida. I mean, why is he ahead? Um, is it meaningful? What What is this race looking like? Also, keep in mind, we because we care so much about Tulsa, Oklahoma, let's mention it again. There was a rally on Saturday, as we all know, in Tulsa, um, and it was poorly attended, but uh, but it gave us a kind of you know, first blush of what we might see from the Trump campaign. So let's just talk about what is the message of the Trump campaign, and then we'll talk about Biden. But what are, what are the Republicans running on right now? Uh, it's not the Republicans. It's what Donald Trump is running on. True. I mean, I, I will just say that. 
and he's he straight hijacked the situation. I know I'm I'm starting to come off like some type of weirdo Republican black guy on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but are you Republican? I'm a patriot, Andy. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> um, so Brian, what do you think Trump is running on? Uh, well, I think you know. Well, he's first of all, every rally speech is like watching a horrible open mic comic. <laughs> every speech is off the cuff, oh, it's rambly, it's, it's not true. put together. It's like watching a garbage open mic comic. And there's too much misogyny. Every open mic comic, when they start out their career, generally have a lot of misogynistic bits it's, for it's whatever crazy. reason. It's crazy. It's, yes. it's, so I think right now, as he is tanking he's going basically to the dark dark place of just racism you know when he says us first then the way he speaks and phrases things it's more of this good old-fashioned below average white person that coming for our stuff vote for me so i can keep things normal that's what he's running on and I, and I also have to mention that they start, not only did they start with that rally that was just like a disaster in terms of public health, but they also released an ad depicting Biden as aged and confused, uh, and confused, yeah. <laughs> and confused, calling him, quote, that is hilarious, cl- cl- calling him, quote, clearly diminished and lacking in, quote, mental fortitude. Uh, Donnie Junes posted memes portraying Biden as a pedophile which they love the pedophile thing. I don't know where it came from, how, whatever, but they love it. Um, and, um, and 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 Donnie on the stage actually suggested that there's something wrong with Biden, um, which is again hilarious coming from him. Uh, Andy, what do you? What is the? What message are you gleaning from all of this? Well, for, first of all, I, I think he he his campaign is clearly going to be no limits. I mean. You know, he loves the shock stuff. It got him there last time. I don't think it's going to get him there this time. But but he will, no limit. I mean, pedophile, we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, second secondly, I don't agree with Brian. Uh, 85, there's 85 point spread of Republicans supporting Trump. If you call yourself a Republican these days, very likely you're a Trump supporter. If you're an elected Republican, you've been, unless you're Mitt Romney, you've been sitting on your ass not saying anything, not criticizing, not doing anything. So I think the Republican Party owns this man 100%. I'm not saying every everybody who identifies as a Republican does, but I'm saying most of them do to, to the, at this point. Th- third thing I'd say is we got to be very careful because the 14-point shit is like the media loves the comeback story. So as soon as it's a 10-point lead or an 8-point lead, um, he's going to be mounting this, um, you know, come from behind um, thing. He's going to run. It's very clear. The contours of the race to me are he's going to run as a divider. He's going to try to run the narrow path through the states he needs, appealing heavily to his people. Biden is going to attempt to run as a uniter, um, which, by the way, isn't all good either, But uh, because not what everybody wants. But he's going to run as a, we got to heal the country. We got to get some of our, our historical um, uh, credibility, moral centeredness, et cetera, back. Um, and, and I'm going to be a transitional figure and I'm going to appoint a vice president. And this is the most important decision he's going to make. Yep. Um, he's going to appoint a vice president who people can say, this is our future. And this is the two for one package. I'm going to unify the country. And then this person is going to set the future direction. 
Can I, now that you've mentioned his most important decision that he's about to make, uh, I mean, I think in a month from now, um, let's talk about the VP pick. You know, there's people like Kamala Harris and, and Elizabeth Warren, um, my personal favorite, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Val Deming, Susan Rice, uh, Tammy Baldwin, Stacey Abrams. There's so many names being floated around. Andy, do you think any of these names or a couple of these names rise to the surface as a most natural choice? I think they're all good. I mean, and, and by the, way, the, the more names he surfaces, the harder he works at it, the more he, the, the better uh, ch- chance we have of coming up with more good names. Um, because I think there are people who've been qualified and never made the list before. I think he's going to make a decision. I hope he makes a decision um, that reveals something about himself and how he thinks. I have no idea um, which of those people he's going to pick. Um, I I've, I've served on his uh, Cancer Moonshot Task Force. I know him a little bit. Um, I think he's going to make a decision that says, this is who I am. These are my values. This is who I'm made of. And, and you know, I don't know who that will be. Um, but it may not be one of the, it may not be an Elizabeth Warren or a Kamala Harris. It may be a Val Demings, um, someone who's Hi. lesser known. <laughs> Brian, who do you want it to be? Not uh, not Stacey Abrams because that's a pander pick. Mm. Pick to pick for the job. Pick to win, and you know I would say pick to win Elizabeth Warren, but optics yeah. you know optically people just too many white people. It's like ah, it's, hey, it's it's okay, you know in my in my mind. And then I would say the long shot. My long shot will be Condi Rice. Yeah, I, I don't think she's Rice? a long. No, Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza oh, Rice. Literally, Condoleezza Rice. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think there's a zero chance of that, but I do think that's, Susan it Rice doesn't feel like that's happening. I just, by the way, I just watched the movie W again. Did you yeah. did you see that, Brian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would. Yeah. You know, I hung out with uh, Josh Brolin. Ah, really? At SNL, and I sat oh, next cool. to him. And I was like, oh shit! I was like, dude. Was it you, W, man? He's like, yeah. <laughs> he was great at that. But he was do you, great. Do you, do you remember the way Condoleezza Rice was portrayed in that movie? Who was Condoleezza? Oh, I forgot who was Condoleezza. I, for, I don't remember her? who the actress was. But she would literally walk around with, like, nasally his voice and just, like, repeat the whatever George Bush said and nodded her head. They made her... It was the most unflattering. Like a dum-dum. Yeah, most unflattering portrayal of. You know, did you see the portrayal of Condoleezza Rice by herself on 30 Rock? (laughs) No, I didn't. I did see her portrayal of herself in real life, though. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen 30 Rock, please watch all seasons. Oh, my God. Thandie Newton was Condoleezza Rice. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But in 30 Rock, she plays herself. She has some comedic timing. She has like an affair with Alec Baldwin. It's a, it's like a series arc. Like they, yeah, they come back to it a few times. Yeah. It's, it's truly hilarious. Um, But, uh, but I think, you know, I think the optic, look, Elizabeth Warren is my personal pick because I think she's just the one that who's the most qualified and who has the ideas that match what I want in life, you know? And I thought that about her presidential candidacy. I continue to think that. I do think that someone like Elizabeth Warren is not only too much of a celebrity, and I don't know, again, 
I don't know if it's uncouth or insensitive for me to say this, but yes, she's like a white woman. And I just, I, it's weird because uh, like- 2020, I, I, like you said. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, the racial optics are really sensitive right now, but even still a lot of movement leaders, and I'm talking about like from the Latinx community, from, from, um, you know, black movement organizations, have supported Warren, you know? They have said that she's good on the issues. Even um, Native Americans who were initially against her kind of turn, uh, some of them turn around and were like, you know what, she's actually really good. She came around, this is what she- Can I ask you you guys a question? (laughs) Yes. Don't you think, and this is, I mean, I could say it because I'm a, you know, well, you're a comedian. Comedians can say the real hard things. Don't you really have to pick someone who can be president because- Joe Biden is old. There has yeah. to be, let's just be real about that. You have to pick someone that someone can see, oh, you could be president if this guy yeah. hurts yeah. himself. Oh, he knows. I think he knows that. I think that's And I true. think everyone knows. I mean, I think everyone is there with you, Brian. Like uh, this, that's why this VP pick has gotten so much attention because he not only has to pick a woman, but he also has to pick um, a woman who's ready to lead on day one because, and he's implied many times that he could be a one-term president um, and that, you know, and then who knows about what what could happen to someone at that age. I, I think Brian's right. Everybody's going to picture when they look at the VP, that person in the Oval Office. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's going to be even more the point. I think you also need someone who can, who can, campaign too i mean because this yeah, is gonna be a he ain't got it brutal slugfest well he's great behind zoom in the basement I mean, he's a, that's his yeah. that's his domain um but you know having someone out there um i don't know if you who's getting a little bit of attention now late in the i don't know if it's late in the game but more recently is is karen bass i don't know if, if y'all know her um she's she is, is karen baskin bass b-a-s-s oh She's a, she's congresswoman from California. She would be she's African American too. She would be, but she's been rumored potentially to be speaker behind Pelosi someday. Um, she's a little bit older than some of the other candidates, um, and very unknown. Um, what about the governor of Michigan? I just had her on my podcast today, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, she's she is. Um, I think she was more favored early on because of Michigan. I like her a lot. I don't think she's. I don't think she's likely. Um, in 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 some part because maybe I think the conventional wisdom now is that he will pick someone black, but um, but she's good. Uh, okay, well, this will just, you know, we'll keep our eyes open and, um, you know, and also I'm ready for my, I'm just ready to be, uh, have a little bit of mild indifference to the VP pick in terms of like excitement. Like (laughs) there's only a couple of names that are, I find truly exciting. I'm ready to be, to look at their qualifications and be like, oh, okay, that person has executive experience, blah, blah, blah. They just say like the, I mean, put aside Joe Biden, like. If you go back a little bit, I'm older than both of you guys. Please go to like Carrie picked John Edwards, Gore mm. picked Joe Lieberman. Mm. Those were two awful, awful, awful picks. I mean, yeah. we've like, <laughs> we've like, and we seriously cannot get it that wrong. And and by the way, Sarah Palin on the other side 
too. Like, I mean, historically, Paul, bad. Paul Ryan. I mean, people have picked some terrible candidates recently. Wait a minute, who was Paul Ryan? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney picked Paul Ryan. Oh, people, people pay. You know, I, I'm I'm a big Mitt Romney fan, and I always make comments on Mitt Romney's Instagram page. And all my friends <laughs> see that sometime. Like, Brian, I did not know message. this about you. I get text messages like, dude, why are you commenting on Mitt Romney's Instagram page? Like supportive things like, hey, man, keep going. Like he's a, his Instagram feed is very, very wholesome and sweet. Um, the, the, uh, also, why are your friends, why are your so, friends so focused on his Instagram feed that they noticed that you posted a comment, huh? Because I guess I'm the only one that they know. That. <laughs> I don't know how it comes up. It's like Brian Babylon commented on Mitt Romney's picture. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we're going to keep track of all this. Listeners of Fake the Nation, let me know. Who do you think the VP pick is going to be? Who do you want it to be? I know a lot of you guys are with me on the picks. Um, but I'm so curious. Like, let's, let's think strategically. Uh, and let us now move on to topic number three. So uh, companies have been in uh, on, you know, out of the office for about four months now. Are they more productive during this pandemic? Uh, should we be getting rid of office offices? Does anyone miss the water cooler? That is the question before us. And I don't know, Brian, I, I, I think both you and I have um, less constant experience uh, at an office. Uh, um, is that true? Well, uh, well, you know, I used to work at WBEZ in Chicago. Mm. So that was Heard an of office, but... I had a cubicle. Actually, it was right next to Peter's, Peter Sagal's oh, uh, shit. Okay. office. I mean, desk. But I would never be at my desk. I would go home. I would do my show <laughs> and go home. When you needed to. And and I thought, you know, and I would always, I always hate people that fake work. It's so much time people spend at their desk pretending that they're working, but the project that they're really working on really has nothing to do at that time, but you're sitting at your desk, fake working. Andy, you've managed a lot of people. Uh, have you seen the phenomenon of fake working? And um, what do you think of like trying to run an organization as big as the one that you ran uh, from home? Oh, I used to fake work all the time. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, who hasn't? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here. Maybe... Um, but look, like, it's funny if you think about it, like, the last 10 years, if you've been inside an office, they've had this whole, like, let's break down the walls. Let's make it egalitarian. Let's get rid of the cube walls. Let's put everybody around a desk. You know, let's have couches where people can sit out. Like, literally, almost everything you would not want to do to if you were going to try to prevent the spread of a virus. Like, literally, literally, like, at, let's got to make our office look like a living room. And that is like, right, and, and now they're all like, uh-oh, like, because you can't, now you need to put up shields, and you need to have, like, all of these other things to be to be safe. Um, look, I, I, I think it's, I look, my son just started his job on Monday in New York, first day of work. He moved to New York, started a job, and, you know, they literally sent him a desk chair. They don't have an office. They sent him a desk chair, and he's sitting in his tiny New York, Brooklyn apartment, like working behind. And like, so for him, I feel badly because mm. like he's 22 years old. He doesn't know 
anything or anybody. I, had, I mean, he thinks he knows everything, but it doesn't. And he's a very smart kid. And if you listen to this, I love you. But like, you know, he wants, he needs like <laughs> colleagues and he needs to like someone to show him which end is up and he needs to like get something yes. wrong. And if someone's over his shoulder, like for me, like shit, I, I mean, I, I work, I'm working in shorts and, you know, and it's great and I can be home and, and people can be productive and what I do it's less of a deal, but I'm 53. He's and he's 22. So I do, I do think probably it depends. I mean, he's obviously going to be better at the tech stuff. Um, but if he's going to, you know, build a career, grow as a person, learn how to work with people, you know, these don't need more of that. But and I mean, think about it. I think this is just, and I was talking about this. This is just another. Evolution, evolution of just society and and what we are, just versus you know people who had to, you know, a Zoom back in the day was a telegraph machine, you know, you had to dee, 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 was like beeps and things like that, and that was like the future. I think people are going to find a way to, I guess, connect through squares, and and you know Zoom squares, and then there will be another way you connect with people if you ever see them out <laughs> because. You have to think about, you know, how much business, you know, I used to have a, uh, I used to manage a team that was in Mumbai, India and New Delhi, India. And this is, used to be conference calls. And when I went to India for the first time to meet my team, they didn't know that I was black. They thought Brian was just this, you know, this was like my space time. So they couldn't just Google my face. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, right. So I got to New Delhi and they were like, oh, my God, I never thought Brian was a black guy this whole time on the phone. And it was just like, but now you see people's faces, you can communicate. I think it's going to be just another yeah. evolution of how we, how we do things. I think yes and no. Like, I, I agree with you in some part. But, like, I remember when, like, Blockbuster videos, video came out, like, and people were like, okay, movie theaters are dead. Like yeah. they're gonna mm-hmm. all be gone. No one's gonna go to movie theater ever again. And like, I, I it seemed logical, right? Because you could like go get this thing on a disc or a tape or whatever. And Netflix and all this stuff. Yet people, there is something about the human that does crave togetherness and sociability. Not not so much me necessarily uh, at this point in my life, but like people are social creatures. Like they'll go, they go to, they like going to Starbucks and seeing each other. They like going to the office. You know, I think people, you know, I think particularly see it, my son's age, you know, he was just at college. And, and so like, I, I think, yes, it can be done. Uh, but there is this, this urge that's going to need to be met. Uh, I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but that's going to, but do you think something. you need that to, to, to sell, to, you know, to sell widgets? Do you need to have uh, you know, people show up places. Do or do you think if if I'm a, if I'm a business owner now, do I quickly make my business for the future of like, oh, you know what? Let's not spend that money on rent because I've looked at right. Gap Company. They owe almost a three hundred dollar, hundred million dollars in rent. You know, so much people like you don't need to spend the money on rent. You could be a better business if you're trying to be more nimble moving for the future. I don't know, maybe. Well, I think, I mean, so I I see what you're saying, Brian, but I think 
we, we read an article called Our Companies More Productive in a Pandemic uh, in the New York Times. And one of the things they talked about is like, where does all of this lead, leave company culture? And, uh, and I think that's a really big part of it. You know, I, we normally record this uh, podcast at the Earwolf Studios in New York. And, you know, and so I don't work there every day, but I do go in once a week. Uh, you know, I say hi to Ashley. She's the office manager. She sets up a whole vibe in the office where everyone can like chat and be friendly and come up with ideas. I run into another host. We're like on the same schedule or something. This guy, Dan Pashman at The Sportful, he's been on the show. You should subscribe to his podcast. It's fantastic. And me and Dan always, he'll be like, oh, Nagin, I had an idea for Fake the Nation. He'll give me his idea. And, uh, and we've literally run with some of his ideas on our show. Um, and those, that's company culture to me. You know what I mean? Like that's like, like I, you know, uh, there's like little gummy bear jars and you sort of gather and you look at them like, I'm not going to eat that, but you really are. And as you're deciding to pretend to not eat it, uh, someone walks in and you have a chat. And that to me is the thing that is the, that exchange of ideas that makes an office so, so valuable. So can I just say like, you probably work with good, smart, creative people that you like and stuff in common with and and that's cool. Like they, people might be your friends in, in real life, but like, you know, who cares about company cultures, companies, you know, who doesn't care about company cultures, people. I mean, facts, <laughs> facts, facts. No, but disagree. Thinking about your son who's 22. So when I was 22 um, or 23, I started my, my, my first kind of real job. I had a couple of like eh, jobs, but my first super like real job was uh, with KPMG. And uh, so I was a consultant and um, it was really fun. You know what I mean? I met a bunch of sure. people. It also became the foundation of my social network that I could meet people, that I could understand the politics of the office, that I could understand that the men were being paid more than me. Uh, all of that stuff happened because I was in an office, because there was that kind of exchange of ideas, because you build an intimacy with people that you really just fundamentally can't do online. And to me, um, that was one of the one of the points that someone brought up in this article was, um, you know, people of color have a hard, and women have a hard time speaking up at meetings. So they have a hard time in conference rooms, but it's a little bit easier to sort of notice them and get them to speak. In On Zoom calls, it becomes that much more difficult. So where do they stand when it comes to promotions? Where do they stand when it comes to making themselves seen and heard uh, so that they can rise through the ranks? That, I think, is something that requires more of that kind of face-to-face -face cultural interaction that happens um, in an office. I don't know. I think it could work the other way. I mean, like all the FaceTime, the BS FaceTime that people put in with their boss, you know, going golfing, going out for drinks, when people who are, you know, don't, other people don't get to do that. And it's a, you know, this sort of guy's culture. Um, maybe, I, like, I don't know, but it's, it's possible that it just becomes a little more about the work about the work, yeah. And like, hey, you did better work. So that that shows more because you can't come into my office and chat with me about the Chiefs game, you know? Yeah, a lot of that fluff shit is done. And it's about those widgets. And if you get to whoever sells the most widgets, whoever gets it done, whoever gets the project done, whoever knows how to make things happen in this shitstorm, those are the people that are going to rise to the top. 
All right, here's one more argument against both of you. Uh, (laughs) I'm just reading from the article here. So a company called Chegg, an educational company, said that 86% of employees said their productivity was as good or as better than before. According to an internal survey, they attributed the uptick to not commuting and not having boundaries to the workday. So I was like, oh, wow, okay, so uh, so their productivity is better. A lot of these companies are wondering if that productivity uptick is even sustainable, um, that that it's most likely to lead to a lot of burnout. The thing that stood out to me about these findings was, okay, so not commuting means you get to do more stuff. That makes sense. But not having boundaries to the workday sounds utterly and completely fucking miserable. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that is the thing we're all living in right now is not having boundaries to the workday. And that to me is, there, there is a thing, the reason why people go to Starbucks or where, you know, their local coffee seller that's independent and run by mom and pop, the reason why they go to those places is because they're trying to impose some sort of a boundary to their workday. Um, and when you remove those boundaries, you're just working and you go into this you know, endless day of work and it does lead to burnout and it does, you know, it requires almost too much discipline. It's like, why don't we just not have schools? Well, we need to have schools. Otherwise, kids can't discipline themselves. You know what I mean? And move from one subject to another. I think people were doing that anyway. People were working. The boundaries are broken anyway, even when people were commuting. People were still answering emails all time of night. People are still working on the weekend. Now you're just not you're doing it at your house. You're now pulling a laptop up, laying in the bed, answering the email versus doing that and driving an hour and a half a day. I, you find, I'm finding <sighs> myself ag- ag- agreeing with Brian and like hardening yes. my position against, because like, because it, it, it does work both ways. I mean, just say, so for example, you're, you're as Brian said before, your work life could intrude on your personal life and it still can. But now your personal life can intrude on your work life if you wanted to. So you can take an hour in the middle of the day and, you know, go have lunch with your partner or go for a walk or, um, you know, do something that, you know, allows you to manage your schedule and your life a little bit better. So you can, you know, yeah, you're right. It takes more discipline. Um, and I guess it depends on your job. Like, do you identify, like I identify myself probably more with my, with what I do. And so it blends into my life a little bit more than maybe, maybe other people. And if you had a job that you hated and a boss that it would be willing to intrude on your life, it's it's undoubtedly harder. But I also think, you know, you can get some flexibility out of it too. I, I, I do think that if we go back, that when we go back to the office, that, that there's going to be more, you know, flexible scenarios, um, especially when it comes to like parents and having to pick up kids and all that stuff. Like there, there's already been a move to, to make, um, the office time more flexible to accommodate that stuff. And I think that's going to continue to happen. Um, but I also think, you know, it's, I, I also think it kind of goes down the middle, like who kind of likes spending time alone and who doesn't, you know what I mean? There's an extrovert, introvert thing at play here. Friends of mine who are extroverts are like, this is fucking shitty. You know, I don't do well when I'm this alone. Uh, I, you know, my last book I wrote um, partially in Bryant Park around, surrounded by hundreds of people uh, every day. You know, that's kind of how I was able to get it done. Uh, I, I, I just don't get things done when I'm like alone in a room and it's quiet. Not to get too personal, but if y'all have kids, 
Like if you have, I don't like our kids are older, but like people who have little kids are like, get me out of here. Like I love yeah, them. That's me. Right. Like I love them. But if I have to be around them 24 hours a day, one of us isn't going to make it. So it's like there, there is a benefit to being, you know, and like if you got to be home and then, you know, the, the, you know, if you had a younger child, they're not, they don't, not going to turn it off. They see you. Right. And they're going to be like, mom, dad, whatever it is. Yeah. So like getting out of the house, you know, has some benefits, I suppose, for that reason. Well, I think that uh, there were mixed opinions here on this segment. Um, but listeners of Faith Nation, let me know what you think. Uh, but that, my friends, is the end of the show. Uh, is there anything hopeful you want to close out with, um, Brian, uh, for the people of Faith Nation on uh, for this week we've we're experiencing? Um, <clears throat> hopeful. Well, just you know, just let's just. Watch this pandemic. I would say, you know, vote. Don't let things get to you. And like uh, Andy said, have a little bit more empathy because we need more of that coming together 9-11 energy than whatever we have now because we don't have anything now, even with this. There's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's Mad Max energy right now. But, um, yeah. Empathy. Andy, do you have anything helpful to, to help us close the show? You know, when, when, when we decided to do our, start our podcast, it was, um, my, it was my 18 year old's idea. And he was like, dad, let's do some, let's do something together. He could have said, dad, let's mow the yard together. And I would have said, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it was, he wanted to do this. So we did this. And so I just asked myself, like, what is it that we need right now? And so our, we tried to do 50%, I call it 50% Winston Churchill, 50% Fred Rogers. Like, can we give people a unified message in a way that's mm. helpful that the whole family can listen to? And and just just kind of real honest conversation, um, like we just had, but you know, this was funnier as much as I hate to admit, because I tried I try to make ours funny, <laughs> but it's not, not, not as good at it as you guys are. Um, and you know, I think that there are incredible moments that I think we're going to look back on in this period. And hopefully people will have stuff to be proud of. You know, and it's all going to be stuff you did for other people. Like you're never going to look back and go, I'm so proud of the fact that I accomplished something like this. You know, you're going to be proud of the fact that someone was hurting worse than you were. And you took the time to recognize it, listen to them, do something about it, learn something. I mean, these are, these are extraordinary moments that, you know, we're, alive for and we you know we have an opportunity to do something with them and a lot of people are and i i have a lot of respect for people who are figuring that kind of thing out i love that 50 percent winston churchill 50 percent fred rogers that's fantastic uh well um brian andy i would really love for people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and all the stuff that you do brian where do they find you online and what do you want them to look at uh you can find me online on twitter instagram and all that at brian babylon basic spelling and you i would like to promote uh can i promote two things please first uh i would like to promote my buddy hannibal burris's new comedy special he's releasing on youtube july 3rd he's being a disruptor to the system and putting it straight to the people uh miami nights will be on youtube july 3rd and people can check out my two new musical albums on spotify that's awesome. Um, and Andy, where do people find you? What do you want them to look at? So I'm at 
at Ace Lavit on Twitter. And um, I don't really pull a lot of punches on Twitter, as you said, so I, you can follow me there. I have an Instagram account that's at Andy Slavitt, but uh, I'm not as good at remembering to do that. And we did start this podcast <laughs> called In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt. And uh, I think I just talked about what it was. So I, if you want to listen to one of the episodes, and if you like it, that's fantastic. If you don't like it, then I really apologize. <laughs> if you don't like it, have empathy um, and say you liked it. Exactly. Fake it. Well, follow them on all of the things that they do and do not post on. Um, subscribe to Andy's podcast. Uh, and you guys know where to find me online. But also, just a reminder, you can see my uh, short film, uh, The Morning Papers, Morning as in Grief, at nagineforsat.com slash stream. Uh, and if you tape the filmmakers, the proceeds will go to the Workers' Justice Project and to the Actors Fund. Um, and I also have a new uh, column out in The Progressive. Um, this one, as I do every issue, this one is called The Art of being non-essential. It's about being one of the least essential workers. Us, uh, comedians and, uh, you know, magicians, we are just uh, completely useless. And if you ever find yourself in a bunker with us, you should eat us because that's what we're here <laughs> for. Uh, so it's a column about that. And uh, what I would really like to do is thank the people here that make Fake the Nation possible. That's our uh, producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gobby Alter wrote our theme music, Lily Fleshler helps with research. And we'd love to hear from you. So please send us your feedback, uh, topics we should be chatting about guest ideas you can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or you can drop us a line at commentsofakethenation.com if you like what you hear please leave us a review on apple Podcasts because it helps people find their show and just tell your friends that also helps people find the show all right you guys that's it and i'll be back in your earballs next week thank you 